the probability of life originating on Earth is no greater than the chance that a hurricane sweeping through a scrapyard would have the luck to assemble a Boeing 747. Therefore, God must exist to make that improbable, extraordinary reality happen. Is that right? Well, Richard Dawkins in The God Delusion says absolutely not. In fact, the Boeing 747 argument, he turns it on its head. He turns it into what he calls the ultimate Boeing 747 gambit. If you want to acknowledge, Dawkins says, the extraordinary improbability of life originating and existing on Earth, then you are essentially disproving the existence of God. We'll address this central argument of his book today on Sinners and Saints. In an age of moral bankruptcy, political sleaze, theological confusion, and aimless religion in a mindless church, we're addressing the need for a Bible-based, intellectually rigorous, 21st century Christian faith. This is Sinners and Saints. Theology with an Edge. We are very happy that you've joined us today on Sinners and Saints. Adam Kalustian here with John Sautel and Moses Jambazian. You know we're pastors in local United Reformed Churches. We're glad you're uh, listening to us. We are continuing our series today on Richard Dawkins' The God Delusion, the topic of atheism also in general as it's well represented in this book. Remember where we've come in the series. We talked in the first couple of shows about uh, really our agreement with Dawkins' critique of typical religion, even typical Christianity. People have to actually believe in the existence of God if they want to be religious and, and really be honest and true. We agree with that. We don't want Christians to trivialize either the Christian faith and actually make it so discredited in the eyes of everybody who's watching us, we agree with Dawkins. A lot of religion, a lot of so-called Christianity is actually destructive and harmful. We went on to point out that one of the major flaws with the atheistic worldview is that it cannot account for absolute standards of morality. The naturalistic worldview has no foundation for the absolute standards, which, of course, they exercise and they all believe and practice in their own lives. Of course, Dawkins took a shot at the Scripture and then in that next show, we defended the Bible's view of morality and also, following that, the Bible's reliability. But we come today to what Dawkins considers to be the central and most persuasive argument in his book against the existence of God. And this argument is what Dawkins calls the ultimate Boeing 747 gambit. And he starts, as we did in the open, reminding you of that. He starts by saying, typically, the most uh, persuasive argument, or at least the one that's shouted the loudest by people who believe in the existence of God for the existence of God, is this, that the likelihood of life originating on earth is no greater than the chance that a hurricane sweeping through a scrapyard would have the luck to assemble a Boeing 747. And therefore, because we see something so improbable, so extraordinary, actually existing, the world and all its complexities. Therefore, God must have existed to make it happen. This is the classical argument from design. And Dawkins decides that uh, he's going to turn that one exactly around on its head. Now, here's how he does it. Dawkins' argument, the ultimate Boeing 747 gambit, starts like this. Everyone okay, is confronted 
by the world in which we live appearing to be designed. After all, in our own experience, you don't have anything complex that wasn't designed. I mean, if you're using a microwave or you're looking at your watch or you're using your computer, I mean, you just know that there was thought behind it and somebody personally had to systematize all of the processes and the materials, put them together, and come up with this complex, extraordinary thing. So everybody faces that problem, whether or not they believe in God. And he says, listen, when you consider the options of how to account for extraordinary, statistically improbable things, you know, people will give different answers, right? One of those answers is God. But here's the problem with positing God as the answer to this riddle. The problem is that when you looked at the world in the first place and you described the world as extraordinary, as spectacular, as statistically improbable, you said because of those reasons, it needs to have a designer. And once you put a designer who you then have to say necessarily is more complex and more extraordinary than that which he designed, then the designer has to have a designer himself. And it goes off into an infinite regression. So the point is this. Look, you can't out of one side of your mouth say, I see something extraordinarily complex, the world, and therefore say there must need to be a designer. That designer that you're postulating would have to obviously be more extraordinary, more statistically improbable than the world which he created. Therefore, the designer himself would have to be designed and on and on and on, which fundamentally rejects any conception of God. That's what I'd like to call the first half of Dawkins' ultimate Boeing 747 gambit. Let me just fill out the second half for you really quickly. I mean, this is important for us to, to grasp. It's the central argument of Dawkins' book as he understands it. It is the most persuasive argument against the existence of God. He'll speak of, of this argument saying that it makes the existence of God very highly improbable. He's not willing to say that it absolutely proves that God does not exist. He says that scientifically it would not be intellectually honest to make such a, a bold conclusion as that. But essentially, substantially, that's what he's doing with this argument in his own mind. He's saying that the belief in God is it's discredited. But like I said, let me get to that second half of the ultimate Boeing 747 gambit. He says, look, there's a much better option than God. There's one that's not illogical. There's one that's not logically incoherent and self-contradicting. And that is, you look toward Darwinian evolution by natural selection to show us that extraordinary, complex, spectacular living creatures actually have evolved by slow, gradual movement over time. So the design, the appearance of design, which he acknowledges, is not design at all. Design is an illusion. And then you can speak of it more broadly, he says, even in in physics or in the existence of the universe in the first place or the ability for us to have the conditions of life in which we live. The principle of Darwinian evolution by natural selection, even though we don't have something like that for these broader questions, the origin of life and for the principles of physics, Darwinian evolution by natural selection gives us a warning sign not to jump to fantastic illogical ideas like God's existence, but to just be patient and wait for something that will emerge in the scientific world or these processes to be discovered. 
This is the ultimate Boeing 747 Gambit. Now, you may have to listen to it a few times. You may have to read it a few times in Dawkins' own writing. Listen to how we explain it again. I'm sure these are not easy concepts, but this is what we're trying to address today. Well, let me begin by making a couple criticisms of this. And the first one is that he's not saying anything new here. Just because he terms it with a new name, the ultimate 747 gambit, it might be rhetorically clever, but it's not new. This is the same argument in a rehashed form, which has been made against the teleological argument for years. And that is that there's an assumption here. The assumption behind the teleological argument is that God terminates the regress, that behind all of the appearance of design, there has to ultimately be one ultimate designer. And that has been refuted very neatly and simply for a very long time, at least since Hume or Kant. And that is, well, who gave you the right to make the gratuitous assumption that God terminates the regress? Why wouldn't it be just as logical to suppose that behind God is another designer and behind that designer is another designer? And, of course, you can see very simply how this is going to just slide into a regress of designers. So for a long time, people have been making this argument. Dawkins simply just makes it here and gives it a new name. The second thing about uh, Dawkins' argument here is that I don't believe he would be making it so confidently if he didn't have such overweening confidence in the process of natural selection as the mechanism to account for reality. Remember, people are asking the question, uh, how does the world that looks so apparently full of design come to exist? Now, before Darwin, you didn't have as many complex and sophisticated theories to explain reality. In fact, one of the main ways in which reality was accounted for was to simply say that it's that's spontaneously generated or it's eternal. Darwin comes along in the 19th century and says, no, a better explanation for the world as we know it is natural selection. And Dawkins, being a biologist and a scientist, latches onto that, and he is certainly convicted in, or convinced in his own mind that that is the explanation. So he can easily set aside then uh, this designer God because he has a better, what he thinks, even a more simple explanation for reality, and that is natural selection. Okay, so we should be able to see then that Dawkins' ultimate Boeing 747 gambit rests on two principles. One is the, the surety the confidence in natural selection, and second is the problem of the infinite regression. Now, I want us to be very clear about our answer to the ultimate Boeing 747 gambit. We have two answers. First of all, Darwinian evolution by natural selection violates obvious logical principles and directly contradicts evidence. So it's not as stable as Dawkins wants to suppose. And second, and we'll get to this later in the show, the conclusions which the ultimate Boeing 747 gambit draws betray its own philosophical inconsistency. Okay, so let's take on the very first argument that you're raising here, Pastor Adam. Uh, first of all, one of the things that Dawkins is so upset about in this chapter and who he's arguing against are not just creationists in general, but people who would subscribe to the position of intelligent design. And one reason why he has to take them on is because of the overwhelmingly clear evidence of design in the world around us. And so the creationists, the IDs come along, intelligent design people come along and say, well, basically you have two explanations for how this all got here. Design 
or chance. Design or chance. And the reason why they pick chance as the alternative is because, really, natural selection is a process that that needs chance in order to explain how things exist. Well, Dawkins says, no, that's a false alternative. Here's your correct alternative, design or natural selection. Design or natural selection. And that's where he wants to force the argument. But the problem with that is natural selection requires a logical contradiction. It's based upon a violation of the laws of logic. Let's break it down to a very specific issue here when it comes to the issue of natural selection. I'm going to read to you, first of all, a quote from Dawkins when he says, Natural selection succeeds as a solution to the problem of improbability. Because natural selection is a cumulative process which breaks down the problem of improbability into small pieces. Each piece of the problem is slightly improbable, but not improbable. And what he's trying to say here is, let's take the example of, of the human eye. It's an extremely complex mechanism. Now, the problem is, for the evolutionist, is to account how in the world you get something so complex like that as a result of random, naturally operating forces. And Darwin's going to say, well, it's really not a problem for me, because if you just posit that a great length of time, first of all, is in the backdrop or in the mix here, and then you also posit a process which gradually works its way up to complexity, then we really don't have a problem at all. It's a big, improbable thing, but it's made less improbable by a whole series of incremental steps where you have intermediates, and the thing builds up to a particular point, and then in time, uh, that particular mechanism grows and adds more things to it. And then finally, you get to the eye. And what happens is throughout that process, you jettison the other intermediate forms and all you end up is with is the eye. Just like in the construction process, you use scaffolding and once the process is done, you no longer need the scaffolding, so you tear it down. We don't have any examples of the intermediaries, that's fine. But that's what happened, is the natural selection process used a whole series of intermediaries and finally it climaxes, uh, voila, in the use of a very sophisticated mechanism, the eye. Now, let me just poke a hole in that logic. Let's just say, for the sake of argument, that natural selection is true. Let's just say that it's possible for this extremely complex mechanism of the eye to exist, and it exists on account of a very long, slow, incremental development from lower stages to more complex stages where you finally get vision. The problem with Darwin's argument is, is if you take that theory and you apply it to the very question of origins, which you always have to do when evolution is in the picture, you must ask the question, how still do you get from nothing to something? Be very clear about what the precise question is. How do you get from nothing to something? See, in order for natural selection to work as a, as a mechanism to produce the sophisticated things and the sophisticated reality we have around us, it has to start as something. But the question is, what stands before it? And what stands before something is nothing. But the problem with that is a philosophical one. There are no intermediaries between nothing and something. A thing is either a thing or not a thing, but it can't be nothing and something at the same time in the same relationship. That is a violation of the law of non-contradiction. This is the 500-pound gorilla knocking at the door of evolutionary theory.
how do you account for something coming out of nothing? You can't. It is a complete violation of the laws of logic. A thing cannot be A and not A in the same time, in the same relationship. There is no intermediate form between something or nothing. And, and this is the problem with it. And, and, and evolutionary theorists will refuse to answer that. They will evade it. They will duck it. They will do everything they can to escape it because there is no answer. It is a logical contradiction. And this is what it's founded upon. But it's not only that evolution violates obvious logical principles. It's also that they directly contradict evidence or at least ignore gaps in evidence that seem to be so fundamental to their theory. If natural selection is true and if things evolved through a slow incremental process, the first thing that I would like to ask then uh, of this theory is where are the transitional forms? Show them to us. Where are the transitional forms in the fossil record? If things transition from, let's say, a reptile to a bird, and I'm not saying I've got these in my scientific order as, as they actually did, where is the transitional form? What you have in the fossil record is a complete absence of these transitional forms. What you have instead is the appearance uh, of an animal that is completely, di or an organism that is completely different than another. And if you trace it out throughout the geologic column, it doesn't seem to vary that much. And it certainly doesn't turn in from, it doesn't turn from uh, birds to cows. So the question is, where are your transitional forms? This is one of the great holes, and this is one of the great uncomfortable points when you press evolutionists who are strict naturalists on the record, is where's your proof? There should be something somewhere. If you go back, for instance, into the lowest layer of the fossil record, uh, go back to the so-called Cambrian explosion, what do you find there? You find a whole series of highly complex creatures living together or being uh, having existence together at the same time, which completely defies the whole theory of evolution, which is all about a process from the simple to the complex. You find insects fully developed, just like we have today, dragonflies, cockroaches, all different kinds of highly sophisticated insects, which are really supposed to come much later in the chain of evolutionary theory. You don't have anything to account for that. So the, the problem is this. Dawkins can sound articulate, brazen, bold, have the appearance of overweening confidence that natural selection is just factually and scientifically true. But you know what? It is riddled with all kinds of assumptions. And as much as he wants to uh, show off uh, a dazzling scientific case for all of these things, what happens is if you look at the evidence carefully, there's all kinds of holes in it. There's all kinds of things that they just have to smooth over and say, well, okay, we're waiting for answers here, we're waiting for answers there, we're waiting for answers. And at the same time, uh, you have this 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 confidence, this, this unfounded confidence, really, uh, as if this is the only possible explanation and there's nothing, there's no alternatives that even come close. That's half of the ultimate Boeing 747 gambit, that you can presuppose the truth of Darwinian evolution by natural selection. It's a done deal. It's obvious. Everybody who has half a brain believes it. And so, therefore, it can provide us the explanation, insofar as we've understood it to this point, it can provide the ultimate explanation of reality as we know it. 
And our point to you in this very simple way, and we're not trained scientists either who could poke other holes in the theory, our simple point to you is that philosophically, and if you look at the evidence, the stability which he presupposes about evolution is just not there. As much as he would like to boldly say that it is. And just think of some of the other holes in the theory. Okay, we've shown you that it's founded upon, it's based upon a logical contradiction. We've shown you that there's all kinds of evidentiary problems with evolution that uh, he just suppresses those. But think of some of the other things too that, that leads to problems with. How in the world does natural selection provide the intellectual conditions necessary for philosophical or scientific inquiry? Natural selection the theory is entirely based upon the principle of induction, a comparison of a whole series of specific individual instances and then drawing certain conclusions and inferences from the, these, this broad survey. Well, how does natural selection, which is grounded in collisions of molecules and so forth, how does that provide any stable basis for philosophical inquiry, for the use of the laws of logic, for the principle of induction, how, how can it account for that? This is our second main argument against the ultimate Boeing 747 gambit. It's that the conclusions which the argument draws actually contradict all of the principles that they needed to make the argument in the first place. So here's what we're talking about, all right? In order to make any kind of an argument, including this Boeing 747 gambit, there's a few things that you need. One of them is the uniformity of nature. You basically need things that have happened in the past under certain conditions, under the same conditions in the future, to act the same way, to expect with confidence that they will act the same way. You need also the stable principles of induction, that is, our ability as humans to perceive the world around us, to properly receive those observations and then systematize them, put them together, and then make a coherent argument or statement about what we've seen that will apply also to the future. You need the laws of logic, and they need to be invariable. You need the law of non-contradiction so that you can have intelligent discussion about these things. Now listen, the ultimate Boeing 747 gambit presumes that the uniformity of nature is true, presumes that the invariable laws of logic are stable, all of these things, and then observes the world around it and makes certain conclusions. But the conclusion that they draw cannot account for all of those principles that they assumed and used all along. So you take a step back and look at the argument and say, well, their conclusions just overthrow everything that they tried to do in the first place. Darwinian evolution by natural selection cannot account for the principles of the uniformity of nature, for the principles of induction, the invariable laws of logic by which they try to come up with the argument in the first place. And therefore, we reject the argument. He needs the law of non-contradiction in order to make his argument. And the problem for Dawkins is he never accounts for the law of non-contradiction a single time. Natural selection is not an explanation for the law of non-contradiction. The conclusions that Dawkins comes up with after assuming the uniformity of nature and using the laws of logic cannot account for the uniformity of nature and the invariable laws of logic, which he so quickly uses. So you should look at his worldview as a whole and say, oh, okay, maybe that argument has some persuasiveness, but if I take a step back and notice that his conclusions cannot account for the means by which he has come to the conclusions that he draws, you have to see his worldview as folly. So understand, these are the two main arguments against the ultimate Boeing 747 gambit. First of all, 
this idea that Darwinian evolution by natural selection is stable and we can have confidence in it. Look, the theory violates obvious logical principles and it directly contradicts evidence. And secondly, the conclusions which the argument tries to draw force the theory to expose its own philosophical inconsistencies because its conclusions cannot account for all of the principles that it used to make the conclusion in the first place. The ultimate Boeing 747 gambit goes down in flames. It is not a persuasive argument against God's existence. In fact, it demonstrates that God's non-existence is impossible. And we'll develop that idea more next time. Thanks for joining us, Sinners and Sinners. Join us next week as we tackle more topics with the truth of God's Word on Sinners and Saints, Theology with an Edge.